But he says, because zeal for your house has eaten me up. It just, the zeal for, his, for the Father's house, where it should have been a house of prayer, it should have been a house of worship, but now it had become a den of thieves. It had become a house of merchandise. It had become Walmart of the Middle East. Every creature's unique in a song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, awestruck with. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Jesus cleansing the temple reminded his disciples of the righteous suffering in Psalm 69, verse 9, where David wrote, Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. It was written as though Jesus was prophetically speaking through David. First century Jews expected the Messiah to purge and reconstitute the temple. Jesus was passionately concerned for the holiness and purity of his father's house. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues in chapter 2 of the Gospel of John. And it was one of the most profound moments of his life. Because his circumstances were dictating, man, I need to be, you know, crying. I need to be, you know, sullen and down. And, and here he is, worship. He puts his hands up and he begins to worship. Has our worship become convenient? Does it still have that aroma of sacrifice upon it? Is it just the singing of songs when you feel like it, and maybe a financial transaction that fits neatly within your budget? Is that what worship is? Many Christians today, and I'm not pointing any of you out today, but just in in totality and in Christendom, I fear that we've lost our understanding of what worship really is. Many of our brothers and sisters all across our land today think that worship is just singing of songs. They think that if the worship team is really hot, if it's loud, everyone's clapping their hand, that that's worship. It might be, but it might not be. People worship worship. I've been to a lot of rock concerts in my day, especially before I came to Christ. But the church is not to be a rock concert If some people are not emotionally affected, if it didn't make them dance, it didn't bring a tear to their eye, they claim that, real, that that worship didn't happen. And they say to themselves, if the worship style doesn't meet my criteria, 
If it doesn't meet my criteria, if it doesn't excite my teen son or my teen daughter, if they're not getting up on their hands, on their feet, and and, and clapping and dancing, then I'm going somewhere else where it does. I want the music to move me. But let me ask a question. When was worship ever about you and I? It was never about you and I. And yet, people go to churches based on the worship team. I love our, the simplicity of our worship team. I love it. The Lord didn't provide us a big team. <laughs> we, most of the time, it's just Sarah and her guitar, or me and Sarah and the guitar, whatever it is, but it's, it's a small thing. Can we still worship? Is it worth leaving the church over? Some have left this church because they didn't like the way the worship was going. Let me tell you something. You could sing on a one-string banjo, Amazing Grace, for the rest of your life, and your heart could be right in it, and God would accept it. You don't need all that flash in the pan. You don't need the lights and the smoke. Again, you know, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying the, the obvious. It doesn't necessarily mean it's worship. It could be. But are you going to leave a church because you don't like the worship? Because it doesn't move you, it doesn't, it doesn't shake you, it doesn't make you feel like you're in a rock concert? I would challenge you, if our worship is aberrant, if it doesn't honor Jesus, if the words of the songs aren't about Jesus or they don't honor Jesus, if there's more emphasis on self than there is on Jesus Christ, then guess what? We need to correct it. But if it does glorify Jesus and honor him, then why would you leave a fellowship over that? And not only that, what kind of message are you sending to your kids and all those around you? Here is the message that you're sending. The style of worship and what I get out of worship is more important than everything else. That's the message that you're sending. Is that the message you want to send? Do you think God has a problem with worship? Do you think he has a problem with our worship? I don't think he does. I think he's challenging us. It doesn't matter how many people are on the worship team. Is it more important than the word of God being taught? You're going to go to a church where the, the, the worship team is hot and the kids are playing video games, but the pastor gets up and he speaks for 15 minutes on, a, on something that, uh, some kind of topical thing that feels good, uh, uh, you know, whatever, and it's over, and you oh, let's just worship some more. You know? and again, there's nothing wrong with enjoying and singing to the Lord. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. But the Christian church in America, we need to grow in our understanding of what worship is and what it isn't. God would have us grow and be mature spiritually. What does it say in Hebrews? You know, the author of Hebrews kind of uh, put the fire under the worshipers, and he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, for those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to grow us. He wants us to go forward, to press forward. Paul in Philippians says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but the thing, the one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. 
And see, that's what we need to do. We need to grow in our, our understanding of not only the Word of God, but in worship. We don't entertain people here. This is not an entertainment center. We never will be. We're here to worship Jesus. We're here to love Him. We're here to love His Word. And we're not pointing fingers at anybody else. We just want to do what God has called us to do and to do it well. And Lord, feel free to change anything you want. This is your building. This is your church. We all belong to him. Amen? Amen. (laughs) He has a right to go in and clean the house. He has a right to cleanse the temple as he did. But you know what? If I'm not sharing the word of God, if I'm not biblically sound then by all means, leave. And I'll probably leave with you. (laughs) But we do teach the Word of God. And our worship is not the warm-up act before we get into the Word. It's not the warm-up act. It is equally as important as what we're doing because it's all worship. One is not more important than the other. It's all important. Do you understand? But real worship is rarely convenient, and real worship will cost you something. It costs Abraham, it costs Mary of Bethany, it costs Barnabas, it costs David, and certainly it costs Jesus. And real worship costs us something as well, and it's not all about money either. It's not about money What did Paul tell us? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's reasonable for us to do that. Based on all that he's done for us, for me to offer my life back to him, does there any mention here about money? I mean, granted, we we, we tithe and we we worship in that way, and that is a form of worship, don't get me wrong. But God is, most people think, well, it's just, just, you know, writing the check and singing some songs. No, it's a lot more than that. He'd much rather have your heart. He wants our hearts. Oh, would you give him your heart? Give him your heart. He would much rather have your heart than anything else. And the days that we live in, folks, you need to know that Jesus loves you. You need to know that you're forgiven if you, if you put your faith in him and what he did on the cross for you, the blood that was shed for you. Please hear that. And then I respond to that. I am not going to go to hell. You're not going to go to hell if you've given your heart to Christ. I don't know about you, and we're talking about an eternity here, okay? Not just the weekend. We're talking about eternity. It will never end. And guess what? Putting your faith in him makes sense. It's reasonable. It's sane. It it only makes sense. Because he loves you. He doesn't want to harm you. He doesn't want to take away your fun. Hey, believe me, before Christ, I did all the stuff that everybody else does. Got caught up in all the stuff. And I, I can tell you from experience, I don't miss any of those days. I would have much rather, if I could rewind the tape and hit play again, I would go back and I would follow Christ from the moment I gave, my mother gave birth to me. As soon as I came out of the womb and I'm, the umbilical cord is still attached, hand me a Bible. I want to read it. I want to know it. <laughs> right? It's what I want. 
There's such a peace and a joy of walking with Jesus and knowing that you're forgiven. I mean, doesn't it just lighten the load? Didn't he say, come, my, my burden is, is easy. You know, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I don't know about you, but this last year, 2020, was a pretty laden year. I'm glad it's gone. See ya. Never want to go back again. But we're to be a living sacrifice. But notice back in verse 13, we're getting really far today. Notice in 13 there, it says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. No matter where you're at in in Israel, you always go up to Jerusalem, because the elevation goes up. It's on top of a mountain range, Mount Moriah. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers. And again, this was a surprise to them. They were surprised when Jesus came in and did this. And here again is a fulfilled prophecy in Malachi. A few hundred years before Jesus would come on the scene, what did Malachi say? Behold, I send my messenger, and that was John the Baptist. And he will prepare the way before me, that was John the Baptist. And the Lord, Jesus, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And guess what? On this day, he came. And he cleaned house. (laughs) He suddenly came to his temple. And he shocked them. Because their worship had become something aberrant. It had become something unholy. They had forgotten who Jesus is. Going through the motions. But that was about it. And when he had made a whip of cords, verse 15, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, poured out the money changers, overturned the tables. Do you notice these whips weren't made to whip people? The Bible doesn't say that he whipped anybody. But let me tell you, when he did that and he started doing that, it was getting people's attention. And the animals were very much aware of what a whip does. Ooh, I've heard that sound before. I'm out of here. <laughs> and the people are going, who's this lunatic? <laughs> yeah. And Jesus was in complete control. What is, what, what's the fruit of the Spirit? It's love. But one of the things is self-control. Was Jesus in self-control here? Yes, he was. He knew exactly what he was going to do, and he knew exactly the result. And he didn't need to do anything more. He wasn't going berserk. He wasn't throwing that whip around and whipping kids and whipping people. He wasn't hurting the animals at all. He was using that as a way to get their attention, and it got their attention. He knew it would get their attention. He didn't need to do anything more. But what do you do when you get angry? If You, you and I are different, right? We, we, we should be, you know, if we're governed by the Spirit of God, we ought to say, Lord, help me with my anger, with my temper. Because when we get angry, we put our fist in the wall. When we get angry, we throw something off the table into the wall. When we're angry, we yell at people as we pass them on 490. When they cut us off. When they fail to put their blinker on. Our window's up, but they can see our face. Oh, what a model of self-control we are. But guess what, folks? There's a difference 
There's nothing wrong with anger for the right reasons. But what we do and how we express that anger is very important. In Psalm 4, verse 4, it says, Be angry and sin not. Meditate with your heart on your own bed and be still. Be angry and sin not. It's okay to be angry. But how does that, what happens as a result of that anger? Do I yell at people? Am I swearing at people? Am I hurting people? How am I, what am I doing as a result of that anger? That folks, is the, is the question. Jesus was in complete control. He was in complete control. And those other scriptures that are on the screen speak of the same thing. Psalm 37, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. I would say it does. Many of you are the beneficiaries, unfortunately, of anger from somebody else. Maybe you had an abusive husband. Maybe your father's been abusive to you. Maybe your mother has been abusive to you. Jesus was in complete control. And by the Spirit of God, he wants us to be in complete control as well. But in verse 16, he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house. Notice, he's calling him God, his father. Claiming equality with God. That's a big deal. Because he's claiming that he is Almighty God as well. He says, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And this is from Psalm 69. And I love this because it it encompasses so much, this verse 8 and 9. It says, I have become a stranger to my brothers. David writing this as if Jesus was writing it. Because Jesus certainly was a stranger to his brothers and an alien to my mother's children. They didn't believe in him until after his resurrection. But up until then, they were very skeptical of him. They, they looked at him with crossed eyes. But he says, because zeal for your house has eat me up. It just, the zeal for, his, for the father's house, where it should have been a house of prayer, it should have been a house of worship, but now it had become a den of thieves. It had become a house of merchandise. It had become Walmart of the Middle East. If you remember... Manasseh was one of the worst kings of Judah. One of the worst kings of Judah. He reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He built high places that, his, his, uh, that Hezekiah, his son, had torn down. He raised up altars to, for Baal, which was a false prophet or a false uh, deity. He made a wooden image to Asherah, a, a female deity, a female goddess. He worshipped all the host of heaven, built altars for them. He made his son pass through the fire as an act of worship. He sacrificed his son to Molech in the fires of Molech as he would hold him. That's what he did. Well, what a worship service that must have been. He consulted spiritists and mediums and practiced soothsaying and witchcraft, but his grandson... His grandson, Josiah, we know Josiah. What a wonderful man he was, a reformer king. He comes on the scene, and he undoes everything that his wicked father had done. He undoes it all. He took away the shrines of the high places. He took away the altars. He burned the images. He cleaned the house. And in fact, while they were cleaning the house, they found a copy of the law. Probably had dust on it, probably had Led Zeppelin records stacked over the top of it. 
Finally, he, the, 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 the book of the law is found, and Josiah reads that, and he is so convicted. He, he tears his clothes, and as a result of what he saw, God had forewarned and told them, and how far they had gone, he said, you know what, enough is enough. He cleansed the temple, Josiah did. He had all the priests, everyone active, We're going to do this together, and we're going to clean this house. And he did. He cleansed the house of the Lord, and he took away all the idols, all the high places, all the stuff. And let me ask you, is there stuff in your life that needs to go? Is there a cleaning of house that needs to happen in your home and in your heart? Because, see, if we don't come away with that, we will miss the entire point of of this whole message this morning. Jesus cleansed the temple because it needed to be cleansed. Over time, corruption began to creep in and creep in and creep in. He did it the first time. Three years later, it's all back again. It's even better, more improved, shinier, better, bigger. And he's got to go in and do it again. Maybe some of us this morning need to take inventory of our own hearts, our own families, and look at the movies that we watch. Listen, take a look at the music that we're listening to. Taking a look internally and say, Lord, what is my attitude about worship? What is my attitude? Where has it gone? How far have I strayed from that? It's a good thing to ask. It's a good thing to ask. Why? Because the Lord loves you. He's got a great plan for you. You may not know it now. Maybe you do. Maybe you have an inkling of what God wants to do. He's got a great plan for your life. And there's no greater life than a life that is surrendered to Jesus Christ. I have never been so blessed and so even even happy, okay? Happiness kind of comes and goes, doesn't it? But I'm even happy and I'm blessed because of who he's made me and what he's doing. He's making me. He's still doing it. He's still doing it with you too. We're all the same. He's making us. He's, He's building a church. It's a beautiful thing if we'd accept it. If we would read his word, take him for his word, and say, Lord, search me. Take that wonderful million power candlelight flashlight, and I'll open my, open my mouth wide, and Lord, you shine down, and you look down in every little dark area of my heart. Anything that's dark, God, you clean it out. And help me to do the same. Help me to take initiative. The Spirit of God is there to encourage you to do those things. I don't know about you, but show of hands, how many of you believe that we live in a perverse and corrupt culture? Okay. Yeah, we do. We need the Lord. We need Jesus. And you know how the world is going to see him? He's going to see him through you. What are we doing? How is our worship? What are we doing? Is my life, do I got a smile on my heart? Am I going to pull myself out of the doldrums of 2020? Is that going to define my whole Christian experience here, from here going forward? Oh, COVID. <laughs> Here's my worship. No. Far from it. Worship Jesus. Get to know him. Let him love you. Be blessed. 
So verse 18, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us? They're always looking for a sign. Show us a sign. We want to be entertained, Jesus. Remember Herod? Herod wanted to see him because he wanted to see a miracle done by him. He wanted to be entertained. He's sitting there in his little palace with, he's got his little, you know, uh, iced tea with a little umbrella and he's got, you know, female servants fanning him. You know, I would like to see Jesus. Jesus, could you come and do a a magic trick for me? We've got a, a deck of cards here. Let me pull a card out. Herod wanted to be entertained. That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.